You're listening to a DM podcast. This podcast was created and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of those lands and extend that acknowledgement to the elders past and present, and also to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. And welcome to Kinky History, the podcast where we discuss all of the dirty little secrets they probably left out of your history books. I'm your host, Esme Louise James. Today on Kinky History, we will be talking about the one and only Albert Einstein. Now, you may know Einstein as the most influential scientist from the 20th century. He was, of course, best known for his theory of relativity and for his famous equation, E equals mc squared, which established the relationship between mass and energy. Now, Einstein grew up in a middle-class Jewish family. He attended school in Germany, but as a young man, he moved to Switzerland, which is where he would earn his PhD in physics at the University of Zurich. In 1905, during his time there, he published several groundbreaking papers, including this theory of relativity. Now it's no secret that he would then go on to have a vibrant and very successful career. In addition to his scientific work, Einstein was an outspoken pacifist and advocate for civil rights. He was a vocal critic against war and he was very active in promoting nuclear disarmament. For his numerous achievements and contributions, he was, of course, awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1921. Now, all of this can be very hard and difficult to understand if you don't have a scientific brain like myself, which is why it's very useful that Einstein was really good at boiling things down to their most simple form to help us understand. When it comes to his theory of relativity, for example, he would explain it like so. Put your hand on a hot stove for a minute and it seems like an hour. Sit with a pretty girl for an hour and it seems like a minute. That's relativity. This explanation is really quite fitting because pretty girls would play a prominent part of Einstein's life. Now, while Einstein transformed the world of science and philosophy with his groundbreaking ideas, his thoughts on love and relationships have received relatively little attention. I think it's about time here on Kinky History that we shed light on Einstein's lesser-recognized philosophy, his theory of infidelity. Now... Albert Einstein's love life was incredibly complex and controversial. It's a certain fact to say that his romantic life was not characterized by fidelity or traditional monogamy. The man who is synonymous with genius had very unwavering beliefs when it came to monogamy. These beliefs can be summarised in a letter that Einstein wrote a few years before his death. After his friend found out that her husband was having an affair on her, Einstein suggested that she should not take it personally, as infidelity was a common practice among humans. He wrote, 
I'm sure you know that most men, as well as quite a number of women, are not monogamously endowed by nature. Nature will come through even stronger if convention and circumstances are put in resistance in the way of the individual. Though it was probably left out of your history books, the renowned physicist had a lot of experience when it came to his theory of infidelity. Despite being married twice throughout his lifetime, Einstein was certainly not faithful to either wife. He would first marry in 1903 to Malivia Marek, a mathematician and fellow student at Zurich University. And from the very beginning, their relationship was certainly not conventional. This really came to light in the 1980s when a series of their letters were released and exposed to the public. And in them, we can see that the two lived together and even conceived a child as early as 1902, when Malivia was still residing with her parents. After giving birth, Malivia returned to Switzerland without her child, whose true identity and fate to this day remain a mystery. In a letter dated September of 1903, Einstein hinted that the girl may have either been given up for adoption or succumbed to scarlet fever during her infancy. After the two married, they would go on to give birth to two beautiful boys. However, their relationship was definitely not a Disney classic. Throughout the course of their marriage, it has been estimated by historians and biographers that Einstein would have cheated on her with at least 10 different mistresses. And eventually, she was left for one of his mistresses, who was also his first cousin. And they call that the theory of relatives. Now, you would probably assume that a man that's been caught out for cheating and uh, entered into an affair with his cousin might feel pressured to do the right thing, to file for divorce and then make things right with his mistress. Not So with Einstein, he remained married and separated for five years. And even after his divorce, he was pulling his feet through the mud to enter into marriage again. And I think this really comes down to the fact that Einstein held these very passionate views about matrimony and monogamy. The only reason that they ended up getting married to his second wife, Elsa, was because of pressures from their joint family. First cousins, let's not forget that. This was kind of summarized in a letter that I found uh, from Einstein, where he really talks about the fact that the values of relationship for the older generation are so different to the ideas that he's embodied, which are very much this kind of free love perspective. Something that's very interesting to consider today when we kind of see ourselves in this very open time talking about different relationship structures, whether it's polyamory or open relationships. It was a conversation that was going on even back in Einstein's time. The attempts to force me into marriage come from my cousin's parents and is mainly attributable to their vanity, though moral prejudice, which is still very much alive in the old generation, also plays a part. 
With all of this pressure in play, Einstein finally succumbs and decides to put a ring on it. Though sad for Elsa, she was destined to share the same fate as the first wife. Einstein did not learn from any of his mistakes and instantly entered into a series of passionate love affairs. From his collection of letters, we can see at least six main mistresses that played a part within their marriage and they are described as such. One blonde Austrian, one wealthy florist business owner, one wealthy widow, and one socialite from Berlin. Einstein is a man who certainly can be said not to stick to one type. And one of the affairs that I find really interesting and quite fun was with Margarita Konyonkov, not to be confused, of course, with Margarita Pizza. Now, Margarita was a Russian spy who was married to the sculptor Sergei Konyonkov. Now, this is the sculptor who would actually create the bronze bust of Einstein, which you can find in the Institute of Advanced Study at Princeton. Talk about a cuckold. This man has literally created a bronze sculpture of the man that his wife is fucking. Love that win for the cuckolds of the world. But Einstein was so confident in all of his affairs that when he started to engage in one very passionate affair with his secretary, he even went as far as to suggest to her that she should move in with him and his wife. And as a slapback that I truly love, when the secretary declined, she said to Einstein that she had a better understanding of triangular geometry than he does. Love triangles, not always a lot of fun. So what's the philosophy behind Einstein and his various love affairs? Was there some deep underlying principles of free love or was he just the OG fuckboy? Well, in this letter that he wrote just before his death, he went on to say that when a man forces himself to remain monogamous, it is the bitter fruit for everyone involved. It was Einstein's belief that everyone in relationships would be a lot happier if they were able to fuck around and follow their physical instincts. And maybe there's some credence to this. He wasn't deluded. Einstein acknowledged that this proclivity came with its own burden. A man caught between two women could create animosity uh, between them because of this infidelity. And Einstein stated that there was no satisfactory solution to this problem for a well-intentioned person. His philosophy when it came to love really boils down to one principle. One should do what one enjoys and won't harm anyone else. Sounds absolutely wonderful. Maybe Einstein was the free thinker of love that many of us need to look up to today and adopt in their own romance life. However, I think it's pretty important to remember that when we discuss Einstein and his theories of infidelity... Einstein did not stick to his own principle. While he did exactly what he wanted to do, it hurt a lot of people along the way. 
And Einstein took a very weird, sadistic delight in the pain that his affairs caused to his wives. It's also worth noting that while Einstein was happy to fuck everyone under the sun, this allowance was very much one-sided. While he believed that men should and would enter into a number of affairs, wives were alternatively expected to be passive and accept the infidelity dealt to them. He wrote, You should be able to respond to his sins with a smile and not make a case of war out of it. In fact, while Einstein's theories of love have very much been disregarded, one thing that's also left out of history is his terrible treatment of his wives. During a period of separation from his first wife, Einstein would write a list of conditions that she must accept if they were to continue living together. 1. That my clothes and laundry are kept in good order. 2. That I will receive my three meals regularly in my room. 3. That my bedroom and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. If you read this letter without context, I think it would be difficult to discern that this is his wife and not his slave. Among the many demands of chores, cooking and assistant work, Einstein also instructed his wife that you should not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. If they were to continue living together, Einstein states that she must renounce all personal relations with him. Specifically, you will forgo, one, my sitting at home with you, and two, my going out or traveling with you. His treatment of women certainly didn't improve when it got to his second wife, Elsa. It's here that we see the very sadistic satisfaction that he took in his affairs and how upset it made her. In one letter to Elsa, he even expressed his frustration that his recent mistress had not caused her upset by disclosing their affair to her. She didn't even tell you a word. Isn't that reproachable? Basically, Einstein was wanting his mistress to tell his wife that they were fucking because it would hurt her. Clearly, having a high IQ does not necessarily make you a good person. I think the largest problem when it comes to Einstein's extramarital affairs is not necessarily the affairs themselves, but as I say, that he did not stick to his principle. One should do what one enjoys and won't harm anyone else. Einstein had truly fascinating ideas surrounding what it meant to be in love and a relationship and the need to experience our bodily pleasures. These were undeniably large part of his famed life. And yet this pleasure and passion was often gained at the expense of others. I would like to imagine that if Einstein had his time again, things would have quite likely worked out a lot differently. I think it goes without saying that Einstein was a bit of an intelligent man. Though I think it should also be noted that Maleva uh, has been recognized as potentially being an uncredited contributor to a considerable amount of his work, especially when it came to his theory of relativity at university. 
But maybe Einstein, with all of his intelligence and brains, if he had lived today, would have had a greater understanding of how consensual monogamous relationships could work. Maybe Einstein would have found better rules and boundaries to put in place, making the structure benefit all parties involved and not just himself. Discussions around love, romance, sexuality are becoming more prevalent today. And there's this increasing awareness that alternative relationship dynamics can benefit some relationships. Many of us by now will have been exposed to some form of these alternative arrangements, whether these are open relationships or polyamory. Maybe we've heard about them in the media. Maybe we know someone who's tried them. Maybe we've even tried them ourselves. But these non-traditional arrangements are without a doubt becoming far more mainstream today. And I think this cultural shift really started when one statistic blew us all away. And that was the statistic that half of all marriages end in divorce. I remember hearing this statistic back when I was probably in primary school or middle school. Um, And it really shook a lot of people. For my parents' generation, it was a bit of a comfort. It was a sign that it's actually acceptable for an unhappy marriage to come to an end. Whereas I think from my generation growing up hearing that, it came as a shock. Those Disney conceptions of the happily ever after were suddenly slapped in the face. The guys and rose-colored goggles have come off. We're now looking around at every marriage in our life and questioning the happiness behind them. And while this realization could have been shocking, freeing, painful, I think a lot of us are grateful for it because it's kind of forced us to be more realistic in our expectations about relationships. It's asked us to look to what makes us happy for now rather than 20 years in the future. I wonder what would have happened if these expectations were around in Einstein's time. And maybe if a man of such great intellect of Einstein is saying that we should throw these ideas of monogamy to the window, we should listen to them. He is considered one of the greatest thinkers of all time. And some other scholars and thinkers today have backed up his views. There's a fantastic TEDx talk by an American psychologist called David M. Bush, and he's argued that humans, particularly men, have a biological disposition towards non-monogamy. In his 2018 talk, he cites studies that suggest that 40 to 50% of men engage in extramarital affairs at some point during their marriage, compared to 20 to 30% of women. Men are primarily, he says, motivated by a sexual variety when it comes to infidelity. When presented with the opportunity to have sex, basically, it seems illogical to their bodies to decline. On the other hand, marital happiness typically had little bearing on his decision to cheat. It was very much a penis-based decision. You look hot, let's go. This wasn't quite so with women. They were a lot more head-first vagina later. Low marital satisfaction for women was quoted as the main reason why they chose to have an affair. For women, having what they called a backup plan, 
is in case the first partner didn't kind of work out was more important than the opportunity for extramarital sex this could also be because women tend to find opportunities for sex a lot easier than some men but while this was the opinion of david m bus it's not necessarily the opinion of all scholars in the field there's another American psychologist called John Gottman, and he believes he can predict with 90% accuracy whether or not newlyweds are going to get a divorce within five minutes of talking to them. Unlike Mr. David M. Buss, he doesn't look to biological factors. He believes that divorce and happiness in a relationship is all to do with communication. And the telltale signs of divorce are pretty straightforward, so much so that many of us have likely become desensitized towards them. Now, he believed that the signs of divorce all came down to what he called negative communication patterns. This basically means that conflict started with, as he says, harsh startups, such as criticism, contempt, and defensiveness. If these communication patterns when it came to discussing issues with your partner were left unaddressed, Ottoman basically argued that these patterns were a sure sign that the marriage would break down within a couple of years. But I really believe that this approach can be applied to all relationship structures and that this increasing prevalence of alternative relationship structures, which generally emphasize communication, may be the reason that there's been a bit of a positive change in relationship patterns across the board. Over the last decade, we have witnessed a significant shift in the way that we talk about sex and relationships. For instance, searches on Google terms surrounding open relationship have seen an unprecedented surge. And I think this has a lot of people panicking. Is this the death of the traditional family? Are we just a sex crazed society that just wants to fuck everyone and hashtag free love? But I think the thing to remember when we look back to people like Albert Einstein is that affairs have always happened we just didn't really speak about them. There is something a lot more empathetic and harmonious about discussing our needs and desires with a partner in a way that doesn't end up with people getting hurt. You know, especially if we go back to something like the Regency era, it was so expected that men would be fucking around that they were able to hire out apartments and brothel rooms for their mistresses while their wife remained at home. Now, while this was something that was practiced and generally accepted above the board, it's just not something that you would speak about. That's what we're doing differently today. We are talking about it and we are finding ways to incorporate these practices and desires into our relationships. The difference is now we're not just making assumptions about what we expect out of our relationship. We're talking about it and setting those boundaries ourselves. And this really needed to happen. For instance, in one recent study of the Australian population, it found that 96% of people expected exclusivity from their partners. However, only 48% of men and 64% of women had actually discussed and agreed upon this expectation. 
One other statistic that we've come up with is that people today are becoming less tolerant of cheating. Cheating is seen as more of an unforgivable crime today than it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And I think that's because cheating becomes more prevalent when individuals feel very confined by this idea of monogamy and it's the only option. It's the expectation of a relationship. However, with a plethora of different alternative choices out there, there's more opportunities for dialogue. Cheating therefore becomes unjustifiable. There's something very important that distinguishes cheating from polyamory, and that's consent and communication, something which it doesn't seem like Einstein practiced very well. But there are plenty of examples throughout history of polyamory being the more accepted choice for relationship structures, far more than monogamy. Now, of course, I'm going to do it. I haven't done this in this whole podcast, but we have to go back to the ancient world. When we have a look at the ancient world, there are so many examples of multiple marriages at the same time being the most common thing, though a lot of the time this was related to men of higher social status. In ancient Greece, for example, uh, especially for the upper classes, it was considered a sign of great wealth and status to be able to have many sexual partners at once, including wives, concubines, and male lovers. Homosexual relationships were, of course, wildly accepted and celebrated, uh, with pedestry, which involved a younger man, the sexual relationship of a younger man being seen as the ideal relationship. Polyamory was also wildly practiced in ancient Rome, and this became known as concubinage. This involved keeping a second wife with fewer legal rights than the primary wife, and it was pretty much quite common. Similar practices to that have also been seen in ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, and China, where the emperors took multiple wives. One story from ancient Rome that I personally love is that men didn't necessarily get to have all of the fun. And see, there was two different forms of marriage in ancient Rome. In one form of marriage, the wife became the property of her husband. She became seen as subservient to him. Whereas in the second form of marriage, the woman retained her independence. But this came with the condition that once a year, she had to prove this independence by spending three nights outside of the marital bed. Now, this period of time was very much a anything-goes situation. In some reports, we can see that wives would try and take the three days off um, at the same time as other wives, so that the women kind of went away for a lost weekend, where they were considered single and independent, to be a fly on a wall during that girl's trip. But examples of polyamory are far from limited to the ancient world and can be seen well into the 19th century, particularly in religious communities. It's actually from one such community that we get the term free love. This was the One Eda community founded in upstate New York in 1848 by John Humphrey. 
he is credited with coining this term. Now, this religious community was very interesting to say the least. They practiced this idea they called complex marriages, in which sex was allowed and encouraged between all consenting adults. Consenting, of course, being the active term here. There's this one quote that I've got here from John Humphrey where he kind of explains this idea. Complex marriage meant that everyone in the community was married to everyone else. All men and women were expected to have sexual relations, and they did. The basis for complex marriage was the Pauline passage about there being no marriage in heaven, which meant that there should be no marriage on earth, but that no marriage did not mean no sex. It's really around the 1950s when we're dealing with the destruction of war and everything that did to families that we create this idea of the nuclear family, which is man, woman, children, and nothing outside. One of the reasons that this was so heavily advertised was because there were so many extramarital affairs that took place during the war time for very understandable reasons. But a number of extramarital affairs means a number of children also born out of wedlock. And when life returned to what they wanted to be normal, something had to put a stop to this. And so we can see very, very clearly in advertisement in Europe and America, especially in the 1950s, a stress on this idea of the nuclear family. Something that Einstein would have been rolling over in his grave about. Now, Einstein only passed away in 1955. So he lived to see all of this time emerge. And I think it's kind of interesting and understandable that a man who's developed such passionate ideas against monogamy, who never felt that it was right for him to be held down in one relationship, would then create quite passionate, fervent letters against monogamy when he saw it so heavily advertised in his world. I would like to think that Einstein, if he had his time again today, may have done things a little better. Consensual non-monogamy means the agreement of all parties involved. It means a discussion of what your boundaries are and a constant negotiation if you want to see those boundaries changing. And for some people, that experience can be incredibly freeing. Over the past few years, as these alternative relationship structures have really become more mainstream, I've seen a lot of people in my own circle start to adopt, experiment and enter into them. And to be honest, it has been wonderful to see the new happiness and trust that this has helped them to establish in their long-term relationships and their marriages. Open relationships can be incredibly fulfilling and freeing. Of course, this isn't the case for some people. If you're like me and just tied down in a very happy monogamous relationship, which I shouldn't resent, but I feel like I should be more sexually liberated as someone who uh, hosts kinky history. But for me, 
it, open relationships are just not something that works. I've tried them, but some people just find themselves really quite happy with one person. The point that is important is that I know that if that desire was ever to change for either myself or my partner, I know that there is communication and a conversation to be had. And I think that that is a practice that we really need to encourage in all relationships across the board. So we don't end up like Einstein's wives left in the dark. And while Einstein remained unfaithful to both wives, it's perhaps quite impressive that he remained faithful to his theory of infidelity. Einstein is clearly proof that you don't need to be gravity to be pulling. (laughs) And if you're feeling a little magnetic attraction towards me, remember that you can find me on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. And this week, I would be very interested to hear your own opinions on Albert Einstein, polyamory and monogamy. I will be putting a question box up on Instagram and I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Otherwise, remember that time is relative and it won't be long until you can hear me again next time on Kinky History. Mm. <gasps> oh.